0: Welcome to the Biz Women Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. I'm so excited that you're here today. This podcast is filled with so many pieces of wisdom, strategies, tactics on how to grow your business very purposefully. And it's done through episodes that I do on my own, giving you little things that I've seen work over and over again with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands and thousands and thousands of women business owners and through interviews that I am privileged to do with really incredible women entrepreneurs. So I've had the pleasure of knowing Rochelle Walk, whom I call Shelley, since 2010. At that time, she had just quit her high-level corporate job as the chief administrative officer and general counsel for a very big company and was in her first phase of starting her own law firm. Since then, Shelley has gone through multiple phases of her business— constantly building her company into the next phase of growth. As of the recording of this podcast, Shelley recently merged with Aegis Law, a firm that she hired a headhunter to find so she could implement her succession plan. This was after 6 years of successfully growing the walk law firm. During this conversation Shelley shares why she hired young attorneys who were right out of law school and why this added so much value to her business. She talks about how she made very big pivots in her business when things didn't feel right or weren't in line with her vision. She also shares how she doubled down, servicing a very special niche of business. She focuses on tech and e-commerce businesses and how that made her incredibly valuable in the marketplace. She also shares how she went about establishing herself as a trusted attorney in a city where she wasn't networked at all. I could fish where the fish were, or I could fish where the fishermen were, she says. She's so brilliant. The powerful theme of this conversation is how Shelly has always been very clear about her end game. And when you're clear about where you want to go, she says, then you can open yourself up to all the possibilities on how to get there. I hope that you thoroughly enjoy this awesome conversation with Shelly Walk. All right, Shelly, it's 2010. I'm rewinding a little bit. And you've just quit your job as Chief Administrative Officer, General Counsel for a very highly respected company. You decided that you're going to open your own law firm, but you're in Tampa, Florida, a city that you are not connected to. You barely know anyone here. What in the world did you do? And why did you decide that you're going to put yourself in that scenario in a brand new city where you knew no one?
1: So Katie, you know, it's interesting when you phrase it that way, because I really made a decision that I didn't want to go back into corporate America. Hmm. I really made a decision that i had worked for 25 years in large law firm for a while but mostly huge public companies and i wanted to do something different and i looked at my skill set and frankly i didn't intend to be a lawyer i wasn't licensed in florida my plan was to become a mediator and arbitrator and to help people resolve their business issues In a productive manner, because as a business executive, I saw a lot of wasted time with litigation and a Mm -hmm. lot of of money in litigation. And I knew that my creativity and my background would help resolve problems more strategically. And quite frankly, as a business executive at the level I was playing, you know, keeping in mind chief administrative officer, C-suite in a public company is at a pretty high level for Woman in business. So I looked at this and said, This learning, this experience brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to problem solving. And it mm-hmm. always happened. Got it. So I got myself certified. I figured out how to start to meet people. And then I very quickly found out that almost all of the mediation work that was worth having had to come from other lawyers. You can't just sign up for a program and expect to get mediation. Mm. So in the meantime, a friend of mine started making fun of me because he asked me why I wasn't taking the bar and why I wasn't just getting myself admitted. And frankly, the thought of taking a bar exam 25 years after I had taken it the first time
0: was a little daunting. You think? <laughs> the first Anytime you take it, that's daunting. So uh, at a
1: dinner with this friend of mine who was the managing partner of a major firm and after a couple of drinks, he looked at me and says, so you don't think you'll pass. You think you're stupid. With that challenge, I signed up for the bar exam for February of 2011. I had three days to get my paperwork in and get myself set up to take the February bar exam. Wow. You know, I then put my mind to, as any executive order would, what's it going to take? I put 100% of my energy into figuring how to pass the Florida bar with uh, kids who had just come out of law school. And I spent the next two months mediating cases because I actually did figure out how to start to get some cases, let some people know I was doing it. And at the same time, study for the bar exam. As soon as I passed the bar exam, I literally said, okay, I'm gonna hang out a shingle, I'm gonna go shake hands, meet a bunch of lawyers, and be the mediator of choice. Only to find out that in fact, you know, it's it's fun. I, it was I was learning a lot, but getting the best mediation cases still required me to have a reputation in town. Simultaneously with all of that, I also kind of figured out that is a solo practitioner lawyer, it's pretty hard to bring work in, do the work and finish the work all by yourself. Yeah. Because if you don't have a team and you don't leverage down, while you're finishing the work, you're not getting any new business.
0: I call that the, uh, this is mommy brain going on right now, but like the feast or famine, right? So, if you're a service provider and you're the one doing the work, you're also going out and making it rain, getting the business. Like we saw this for so many years in the Tampa Bay business owners and the local business owners community. If you were the solo service provider, we'd see everyone at the meetings, networking and building the relationships, getting tons of referrals. And then we wouldn't see them for three months because they would be doing the work that they just booked. And then, therefore, at the end, you know, two and a half months into it, three months into it, they'd be like, oh shoot, my pipeline is dry, right? And then have to come back out. So it's like the feast or famine, feast or famine. So you reali- realized that pretty early on that you you needed the team to be able to like actually make the whole machine work.
1: Well, and I had some advantages. Number one, I was at a point in my career where I had come out of a big enough business where, and I had run large enough operations having... Hundreds of people reporting to me, in some cases, thousands of people reporting to me, having seen how proper leverage works and how models work. So I didn't go into this with my eyes closed. I went in, eyes wide open. I understood what it was going to take. And I really just had to make a decision on whether or not I was doing this as a hobby or a business. And I think a lot of people go into business thinking that it's, it's going to be fun. Well, honestly, it's 80 hours a week. It's fun if you enjoy what you do. But... It's a business and it's work. That's why it's called work. It actually is work. So around that same time, I had the good fortune of meeting someone who introduced me to you and Chris and the Tampa Bay Business Owners. Well, actually, it's a predecessor name, but <laughs> Tampa Bay Business Owners. And I went to a workshop and the guy that gave the workshop talked about online marketing for your Self, like marketing yourself on LinkedIn, how you build a resume, how other people might perceive you based on your online image. And it rang a bell. And I thought to myself, you know, back in my day, marketing communications reported to me as part of my I was a lawyer, but I had gone to Sherwin Williams and left the legal department. I you know was an MA lawyer, did a lot of mergers and acquisition work, development work. And then at some point in time, I found myself as head of marketing communications. And then one day, I found myself head of their licensed brands group. And I pulled out of that old buckets of information and knowledge about, yeah, you do. You have to market yourself. So I went at it. I started presenting my online image on LinkedIn. I learned all the ways and tools you can use for LinkedIn. I started building my own website. I spent some money to create an online image. The other thing I did is I very quickly realized that you can fish where the fish are or you can fish where the fishermen are.
0: And I... Ooh, oh, oh! I love that. You can fish where the fish are or you can fish where the fishermen are. So I'm assuming by that you mean like the referral sources, the people who I have relationships with and continue to send me clients over and over and over again. Oh, such a good distinction.
1: And people where they're clients So I could join every chamber of commerce and sit in a meeting room with dozens of lawyers and very few business people looking for lawyers. But if you remember, when I joined Tampa Bay Business Owners, I was the only lawyer in the room. Yeah. And it was a tremendous opportunity for me to find out what small businesses wanted and needed. Mm. And as I started targeting where those fish are, and started going to more and more events that attracted business people as opposed to lawyers, I started really picking up in my network. And one of the first things I realized is that there was a huge opportunity in tech and e-commerce. There was an opportunity to be the only lawyer working with consumer products that was selling online because I've always worked with consumer products but there weren't a lot of people working with them in online businesses. So roll the clock forward, I merged with another law firm, I bring my little fledgling practice to this other law firm so I can have people, and within a few months I realized, wrong people. Nicest mm-hmm. partner, lovely firm, wrong people, because they didn't have business-oriented people, they had a lot of litigators, and I didn't have people I could rely on to do the kind of work I wanted to do And. They liked what I was doing, but they really weren't that interested in building business. So about eight months later, I spun out and started my own firm. It was called the WAP Law Firm. And I did that in September of 2012 and proceeded to be the WAP Law Firm, building and building and building until July of 2018. And during that six-year period, we went from... Attracting business primarily, my, my referral sources were people like you and Chris, other clients, but I was getting about 50% of my work from my online presence. And wow. my base was all over the world. So, my basic business base, contrary to what most lawyers think, wasn't necessarily a Tampa business, but it relied on my reputation, my skills. My networking, both online as well as in Tampa. My prior reputation in Cleveland, Ohio, where I continue to get a lot of referrals from Ohio and from my old firm and from my old friends there. And I built a practice that has centered around something very few lawyers were doing. And that is online, high tech, representing developers, representing e-commerce businesses, and In addition to that, you know, I still have a lot of, uh, you know, I represent other law firms. I still do a lot of mediations. My reputation as a business attorney has now actually built a really nice mediation practice. Mm. I still have a lot of accounting firms, different kinds of service provider firms, many of whom are my referral sources that I represent. But the single biggest piece of my practice has become a technology and really high tech and e-commerce based business. And heavily in the
0: transactions. So I'm really interested in focusing in on one particular point, which is you know, you start getting really integrated in the community, start building up a client base, and then you go on with this other firm because you want the resources that are there. And you realize eight months well, I'm sure sooner than eight months, but you were there for eight months and you realize like that ain't the thing, right? It's not the company. What did you have to go through, I guess, emotionally to really be able to allow yourself to see that, that that was not a mistake? Because that, that's a big transition and a big commitment to be part of that firm. So, so what did you have to get to to be able to say, this isn't working and now what?
1: So that's a great question. This, it's a real turning point for me was when I realized that I was now bringing in more work than I could do and it was getting in the way of bringing in more work if I was doing the work as the sole person. So I figured out very quickly, I need to be the strategist. I need to do some of the work, but I needed a team behind me. And when it became very apparent over a period of months that building that team behind me was not going to happen because my magic partner of the firm, the owner of the firm, didn't have a vision and line to me. And this is, it really, it took it was really about six to seven months into this where he said, yeah, yeah, I agree. We should hire somebody and, and get you some support. And then he said to me, you know, the reason I'm not that comfortable doing that is because I don't know how to do the work you do. And if you left, I'd have nobody who could take on the work you brought to the firm. And I wouldn't be comfortable supervising it myself. At which time I said to him, wow. So you're worried about if I leave, but you're afraid to move forward and build while you're very busy building other areas of the firm. I get that. And if my area isn't profitable enough for it or doesn't support it economically, I get that. And his answer to me was, I actually don't think that's the case. I don't think it's an economics issue. I'm simply afraid that the complexity of the work you do is not something I can easily replace, And if you left, I just don't have somebody who could do it. At which time, he and I had a great conversation. We were very honest with each other. We were still very good friends. And I said, I get that. And I picked up and said, it's time for me to think about my options. And within three weeks, I had hired an attorney, found an office, Went to him and let him know that I was going to do my own thing. We hadn't even talked about sharing office space, but with my firm being a separate firm. Made the decision that I actually just wanted separate space because I didn't want to be beholden and moved forward. And it really wasn't that hard to unwind because I knew where I wanted to take this business. I had already proven to myself that it could happen. I had already gone from zero to enough money to support myself and an associate and a secretary in like a year. So from the time I went on my own, joined, it was only a few months between my going on my own and joining him at his firm. It was a large firm. And so eight months later, so here I was, essentially 12 months later, I knew where I was going. It hmm. really was a hard decision because I knew in my heart what I was trying to build.
0: I love that. So when you went out on your own and built the Walk Law Firm, what's what's really apparent is that you have always... And I know this because I've known you personally for so many years. You've always been very clear about where you're going. And sometimes that's been like, you know, the long, long long-term vision or sometimes... Or in addition, it's also been like the short-term. Like, what's the next step? And you don't hesitate on that, which I have always been so admirable of. So I would like to jump to why Walk Law Firm no longer exists. Okay. Why, why did you then make a transition? Because you had said Walk Law Firm, I had that until 2018. So as we speak, a year later, you now have Aegis Law. So talk to me about why that transition happened. So
1: that's actually a great story. What really happened is I went to my team. I had built one law firm up to five lawyers, and we were very successful. We were named the seventy fourth fastest growing law firm by the Law Firm Five Hundred. So that is based on small law firms across the United States. Uh, our year over year growth had been, you know, just substantial. Our reputation was great. I been named super lawyers. I've named the top business lawyers in Tampa. So all of national recognitions got everything you, you could ask for. And I had these really great young attorneys. Part of the way I built my firm is I hired attorneys right out of law school. I decided I was going to build the kind of attorneys I wanted as opposed to try and find attorneys who could behave the way I needed them to. Mm. I didn't want to be trained. And I knew that for my client base, which was the small to mid-sized business, these entrepreneurial businesses, I knew that I needed people who had good IP experience, who were state-of-the-art on trademarks, who really understood technology. And I also knew that at the time, the economy was terrible. And lawyers were having a hard time getting a job. So I was very opportunistic. And I hired young lawyers from the very top of their law school classes couldn't get good jobs. And I just built a firm around the smartest people I could train as opposed to the most experienced people I had to retrain.
0: Mm. Oh, that's so brilliant.
1: It was a great opportunity. Financially, it worked for me and it worked for them. The challenge with that is, when I went to the group and said, hey, as I'm approaching 60, I need to think about what I'm gonna do next. And my plan has always been for you guys to own this firm, for me to build it and for you to own it. The challenge with it was, as we started talking about the various structures and ways in which that could happen, one by one, they started to kind of peel out and say, I don't really think I can do what you do. I don't know if I could keep the work coming. I'm confident they couldn't, by the way. They my clients loved working with them. There was not an issue but they didn't have the confidence and they weren't sure it's what they wanted to do. I gave them about a year to think about it. Sounds like a long time, but they had a year. We had a hard deadline and my deadline was January 1st of 2018. And it also aligned with some things that were going on with my husband and his career and the thought that he might be getting ready to retire. So we knew there was, I had a lease that was going to be coming up, different things that would line up. And the two lead attorneys who I thought would be for sure the ones to be most interested in taking over, one by one determined it's not what they wanted to do. Wow. Seven years out of law school and not sure they wanted to own a... Good a practice school. that was built for them. <laughs> they built around them and built for them. Yeah. And um, and we had year-over-year year growth. We were now the 140th, I do remember the number, but... Fastest growing firm the next year. So it's very hard to be when you're in your first growth measurement year, it's easy to be in a low number. The next time in order to be in that same category, the growth has to be exponentially even more because if you grow by the same four or 500,000 year over year, as a percentage, it's not as much. Right. the way they measure. So we probably dropped a little bit, but nevertheless, we, we had grown substantially. And this was a firm that was more than enough to support five lawyers. That being said, they they weren't sure. And they understood that if that happened, that I was going to go about finding a firm to merge with or a firm to buy. Because I have great clients and I work with great people and they need, they need succession. They need a plan. I can't just simply walk away and I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm probably still three to five years from walking away. Right. But, I can't just simply walk away and leave my clients with nobody, especially Mm. if I built a unique area of experience. Yeah. So I started looking for firms. I actually did a backwards headhunter recruit. I hired a headhunter who went out and found me firms that would be interested in me. And somehow I actually managed to get that recruiter paid for by the firm that hired me as opposed to... Excellent. So it was was an all-win deal. But I talked to a lot of firms. There was a big firm in Silicon Valley that was very interested. Uh, the international firm with offices all over the world, which is great for me because my clients are low, all over the world. There was a firm in South Cal- Southern California that was very interested. Big firm based out of Chicago, and I found Aegis. Aegis is a firm based in St. Louis, and they work with entrepreneurs. That is their specialty. They have a huge venture capital group, and the managing partner actually is the founder of a venture fund. They have um, attorneys that work with private placement. They have tech attorneys. It is a group of lawyers, primarily in the second half of their careers. And I brought to them a different angle because I brought attorneys that were in the first half of their careers, something they needed. I also brought a very large business, but they were priced and um, mentally in the same place as my client base. So, this has been, I won't say it was perfect. There are always hiccups in these transactions. And since I am a mergers and acquisitions attorney, I probably know more about hiccups in the logistics of this kind of stuff than anybody. I've been doing it for years, you know, as a CAO. And so, there were some bumps and there were things, mostly anticipated things, actually. But things, nevertheless, that came up um, if you wanted anticipated. And we merged the firm last July. And the long-term plan is that I can stay and keep doing what I'm doing. I am now training more attorneys. So I have seven or eight that are regularly working for me instead of four, plus me. I have a broader base of attorneys. I have tax attorneys. I have state planning attorneys, which I did not have in my firm. I have litigators. And it's really been a great way for me to
0: transition to a like, kind of a next step. That's so it's smart. It's yeah, just so smart. Well, it's something you need to do. If yeah.
1: you have an exit strategy, and a CEO I used to work for many years ago said to me, at any point in your life, any point in your business, you need to know exactly where your business is worth. Because if the offer comes, you have to know whether or not to take it, yeah. whether or not your business is for sale. Because if the right offer comes, even if your business isn't for sale, you ought to take it. And my lead time and my planning on how long I, I gave myself to find the right partner was important because I did, wasn't just looking for a partner in, that I can merge with. Right. I wanted the right partner. And frankly, I had the option of if I didn't do this merger, I could have just downsized my firm, shrunk it back, to just be me as a consultant, outsource the day-to-day legal work. But I didn't want to do
0: that. I really wanted to place my clients. I love you walking us through all of those transitions. And I'm, I'm just so captivated by how you, throughout all of these phases of your business, have been so clear about what the next step is. So really, I would love to know how you know that. Like, what do you do, practically speaking? Who do you talk to? What are your habits? How do you make sure that in the mix of the hustle and the bustle of the daily ins and outs of working the business, how do you make sure that you... And what do you do to make sure that you are clear... On what the next phase is, or what the next move is, or what the the next thing is, or what it is you really want.
1: So for me, it's about what you said last. What is it I really want? Because if you know where you want to go and what you really want as your outcome, we all know there's lots of roads to get to the same outcome. And I think that that it's I'm not too specific about my plan. I don't have a book somewhere that lays this out step-by-step. But what I do have is a clear end goal. And if I know what my clear end goal is, then you have to be open to all of the avenues that enter your life that might get you to your end goal. Yes. And then you have to assess whether or not those are the best avenues. And what I would say to you is never turn down a possibility. So when I get a phone call from a recruiter, Even today, and my partners will probably cringe, but I don't mind saying it out loud, I accept the phone call. If I get a call from a client who wants me to do a kind of work that I've never done before, I will listen. But if it isn't something that is in my footprint, I will creatively figure out how to help me get it done, but not necessarily do the work. So that might be referring to one of my partners. It might be referring to somebody else in town or in another city. So I know what kind of work I want to do. See, a lot of lawyers and service providers, in the name of money and the opportunity for money, will vary off their path. But if it isn't part of your end goal, like, for instance, this afternoon, I had a a meeting at one o'clock and my... Client said, I'm looking to do an estate and succession plan. And we talked about what we thought that should look like. And at the end, he said, so you want to refer me to somebody? You're not going to do this work yourself? And I said, absolutely. And he said, why? You know how much money you could make if you would take on estate planning? As your, your, your brain on this is amazing. And I said, yeah, the problem is in my end game, I am not at a place where I'm learning a new trick. I'm not an area of law. I am not going to be competition to somebody who's been practicing estate planning law for 25, 30, 35 years. You come to me and give me the most complex merger and acquisition or corporate issue. I'm there with you. I'm good with that. It's part of my end game. I'm going to be the foremost best known mergers and acquisitions business attorney particularly in technology and e-commerce. But I don't want to be the best known estate planner. Yeah. I track. So I think you have to know in your heart and in your foresight where you want to go. And is there is this an avenue that gets you there? And if it doesn't, shove it aside. And if it does, start investigating the path and figure out if it's the shortest distance, the longest distance, the curviest distance. You know what would it take to follow that path to get you to your end game? Ugh. When you're on that path, by the way, other paths kind of cross the, cross over, and you say, "Wait a minute, that would get me there faster. I should do that instead." Right.
0: Or you're staying in tune, and all of a sudden, the end game might change. Like there might be a moment, or something happens, where all of a sudden, like, "Whoop! Hang on, end game might change." But I love this entire conversation as you personifying what I believe in so heavily which is that the business that you build is a manifestation of you knowing yourself and what is best for you. And being able to discern what is best for others and what might be sexy or popular or might work for 80 gazillion other people, but none of that stuff matters if it doesn't work for you. So the real work in driving and growing a successful business is knowing yourself and then being able to fit in the pieces accordingly. And where you, I love that. Talk. What is your end game? What is your end game? And you have to do the work to know that for yourself and, and then fill in the gap and be open.
1: Right. And you know, and I've worked with clients all day long who are in a succession planning mode. They are in the process of buying and selling companies and I, I teach, you know, one Saturday a month, I, I teach a going into business class. And one of the things I always tell people is if you're just going into business, one of the first things you need to decide is how you are going to exit. What's the plan? Because if your plan is to go into business and be in that business for 35 or 40 years, great. Build a business that is sustainable, that has cash flow year over year over year. But if you are in a business that is Going to make its money when you go to flip it. How long are you going to own it for it? And what's the end game? What would you have to do to make it something you could sell? And you know, so I really spend a lot of time, frankly, taking the advice I give clients and listening to it for myself. And I have to give you and Chris a lot of credit on this too, because I went to a lot of Tampa Bay business owner events over a lot of years. And Different speakers talk about different topics. Chris used to say, you have to know the difference between working on your business and working in your business. Yeah. There's a difference. And I think that was email or something where that yep. came up. Yeah. And there were books that you would recommend and podcasts you would recommend. And I really believe and think that people need to go to these kinds of groups and masterminds It's part of my fish where the fish are. Well, find out who's best in class and what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with shopping them. There is nothing wrong in finding out how they do it. You know, if if you want to be the podcaster of the year, go to PodFest. You know, get yourself there and find out how the best podcasters are doing. Yeah. And it's not shameful. It's not wrong. If your neighbor, if you're in retail and your neighbor is selling a particular widget, you know, a smartwatch, go into their store online, in bricks and mortar. Go on and find out all about that watch. Find out what they're saying about it. Find out how they're selling it. Find out how they're
0: pricing it. Uh, It's so true. You know... I love it because all of this stuff, I feel like you listening, you're probably like nodding your head, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know that. Like, think about the end before I like start moving, right? And th- so these are like fundamentals. And yet it's the fundamentals that can get lost or overlooked or ignored while you focus on, you know, or get sidetracked by the more sexy things sometimes in business or the, Oh shit moments, I've got to make money for the bills next week or for payroll, you know, next month or whatever it is, but it's so important to keep the fundamentals in front of your face at all times. So, Shelly, it has been an honor watching you and being a being able to See your journey that you've had over all the different phases. As a matter of fact, I was just driving past your very first office that was on Platt Street a couple of days ago. And I was like, I remember visiting Shelly there. And that was in that first phase of business for you. And it has been such a beautiful thing watching you go through these phases. And what I really want to drive home to you listening is that whatever phase you're in in business right now is is exactly where you are. And it's almost like motherhood, right? Like enjoy the season. Like really don't always be focused on like, what's next, what's next, what's next and like getting there, but like enjoy the season and get clear and do what you need to do to get clear about what that next phase is and what the end game really is. And that helps guide you in the right direction. And you have just been such a beautiful example of that over and over and over again. So I really want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and sharing your time here with us today.